Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, May 1st. 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Bill's story on page 7. Second paragraph beginning with, it relieved me somewhat to learn. Today's readers are Michelle, Judy B., and Sharon. And the share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Tuesday, April 30th, 4381. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. This is Rose, uh, a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Leia. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Margaret recovered in South Jersey. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend, or lend OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name will never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Bill's story on page 7, the second Full paragraph on that page, beginning with, it relieved me somewhat to learn, and I will ask Michelle to begin reading. Good morning, Leah. <clears throat> Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle H. in Missouri, a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, grateful to be here. It relieved me somewhat to learn that alcoholic that <clears throat> to learn that alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes. To combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely, this was the answer, self-knowledge. And, um, Wow, this this is such a great paragraph. Um, it just, again, is showing um, Bill thinks he has a little bit more information, a little more knowledge. And um, I just have to say this morning when Leah said, you will find us in Bill's story this morning, I thought, indeed, that's exactly where you find me, compulsive overeater right here in this story, um, because that's what I kept um, doing was looking for more and more information. You know, in the previous paragraph, you know, it says that, you know, Bill uh, met a kind doctor who explained to him that, you know, okay, he understood the selfishness and foolishness, but that he had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. Um, so there there goes his focus right there, and that's where my focus went, that, you know, my will is not strong when it comes to to food, that I'm insane when I'm around food, that I'm powerless over food. And I thought that having that knowledge was all I needed, um, step one, admitted I'm powerless. There we go. Now I've got the answer. And um, and things did go well for a while. Uh, I thought, in my opinion, things were going well because, um, you know, I wasn't eating. 
Um, I was still not, didn't have a personality change, but I wasn't eating. I didn't seem to have um, that craving for the phenomenon that, um, you know, if I just um, knew that my will was, um, was weak and that this is what I needed to do. Here was a little bit more in- information. Um, I didn't yet embrace the idea that um, I had no mental defense against that first bite. Um, I did not yet understand or surrender to the notion that I was beyond human aid, um, and it relieved me somewhat. It relieved me somewhat. Um, this is not the solution. This is not the answer. Um, what self-knowledge did for me was feed my ego, um, and the ego is a big part of my problem. Is you know that's where my character defects come from, my ego and my fear. So that's what self-knowledge did for me. It fed my ego, and I was relieved somewhat. Um, and that's why it didn't work for me. That's why for me it was it only was short-lived, and the goose hung high because there again I thought. I thought, there's the I, I thought that I had found an answer. Um, I thought this was the answer. Um, I was yet to find out that it wasn't. I was still caught up once again into the dust spiral, I like to refer to it, um, where the phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession again took over. Um, So self-knowledge, as they say, you know, availed me nothing. Um, But there was a time in, in the progression of my illness as we see Bill's progression in his illness, in his disease. My disease is compulsive overeating. Um, that, that I did, you know, find some relief um, in that knowledge, um, but it wasn't the answer, and it, it took me right back. The only thing that um, did give me complete relief um, was um, a spiritual solution and finding out that I had a spiritual malady. But right now, as this disease is progressing, I can see where it was progressing for me when I, I was given that answer, too, I, I, was, uh, I was shown that my will is not strong and my will will never, ever be able to um, have any strength or any power over that mental obsession. And that's what, that's what I learned as I came into recovery, as I put the food down. When I was in my disease, I was right there and I really identified. And thanks for share, letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Yes, good morning, Leah. Penny E. Monica, and then Penny E., please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and Michelle did very good on that. Yes, here we are in Bill's story. And what has been going on with Bill here? Bill has been hospitalized for the first time at Towns Hospital in New York City, and he's met the very kind doctor, Dr. Silkworth. And what has Dr. Silkworth done for Bill here? Well, first of all, he dried him out, he separated him from the alcohol, got him physically in a better place than he was before, and his head is clearer. And Dr. Silkworth now, for the first time, tells Bill, talks to Bill, and says to him, Hey, Bill, you are have a disease. You have a disease. And there is a physical aspect of this disease, and it's an allergy. You have an allergy to alcohol. And every time you drink alcohol, you're going to set off this allergy, and you're going to get drunk. It sets up the cravings in you, and you are then drinking because you are trying to um, satisfy this craving. So this is the physical aspect of your disease, and this was brand new knowledge. Before this time, it was felt that alcoholics were weak will, they were sinners, it was a moral issue. Just straighten up and fly right, just do the right thing. But he's saying, no, no, there's a lot more to this. This is a disease. Now, there's a physical aspect, but Dr. Silkworth says, but there's also a mental aspect to this disease, too. And so Bill is, you know, he goes, wow, you know. And I, too, had relief and felt, yay, okay, this explains a lot of crazy stuff here I've done all these years. I have a disease. You tell me I have an allergy here to things. 
Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can see that. And when I start, I can't stop because I've set off the allergy. So it did. It gave him. It gave him. Uh, gave him relief. He, you know, it gave him some hope. He and he said, "I fared forth in high hope." And for three or four months, the goose hung high. You know, he was doing good. He was doing well. He wasn't drinking. And he even made a little money, you know, and money was always a big thing with, with Bill. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. Now he had an understanding of what was going on, what was happening. Well, we know that self-knowledge is not enough, you know. Self-knowledge is good. you got to learn the self-knowledge. you got to know you have an allergy, and you got to put the binge foods down. But then what do you do after that when the other aspect of this disease comes in and says, hey, that's the best idea you've had in a long time to pick up that donut today because you're not feeling good. And anyway, I will, let, I will pass because the story is going to continue. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. And Penny E., please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. Penny E., recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Well, it's just exhausting. I mean, and I can so identify in. Here he is again. Here he is again. Uh, you know, a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope, self-knowledge. Uh, he's got a good idea of what the problem is now. You know, he's got a good idea, but he has no clue of what the solution is and how to get it. Self-knowledge, he thinks. So here's another time that he puts the alcohol down, the goose hung high, and I'm going to read the definition of what that means, uh, to have a goose to hang high in preparation for eating during this depression era was a sign of having good fortune or wealth, also thought to be from an old myth of superstition, that when geese flew low, it meant that evil spirits were present. When the geese flew high, it meant that evil spirits were gone, and, as we- and all was well. In this usage, hung would mean flew, in short, the evil had passed. So here it is again. You know, he's holding his breath underwater. He's putting the alcohol down. The goose hung high. The evil is, is gone uh, for now, for now. But he does not know how to get the solution. So important for me to identify in with this. This, this is his, you know, we're hearing Bill's first step. We're hearing what it was like, you know, we're hearing what it was like. We haven't quite gotten to what happened and what it's like now. But believe me, it's a uh, ha- happily, everybody lives happily ever after if you don't know the story. But, um, uh, you know, here again, I have to identify in how many times did I try to put the food down and was successful for a day, a week, a month, a year, how many times? And then when the obsession of the mind, I was stark raving abstinent, you know, when the obsession of the mind came in, I can do this, it's Friday, it's a wedding, I can get back on track, you know, I would pick up again. Over and over and over, the jaywalker. I can identify 100%. Here it is again. Hopefully, he's getting towards the end. Uh, So anyway, thank you for letting me share. Have a God-filled day, everybody. Thank you, Penny E. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Mann. Paula and Rose, and we'll get to you, yes. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula. Recovered. Uh, you know, that first word, it relieved me somewhat. Now, you know, just learning, looking at those few words, it relieved me somewhat. Not totally. Okay, I'm a feeling better because, you know, like, the doctor was kind. It wasn't like that, you better stop now. We all heard that. And that look, you know the look. Like, come on, for crying out loud, you just have to stop eating. Come on, Bill. Just have to stop drinking. All done. Somewhat. Felt a little better to know, not be under that condemnation. At least now it was only, okay, well, now I know I got a sickness. There you go. And look, even here, to learn that alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating alcohol, liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. And he could see that. Yeah, right. Boy, this guy is like, he's agreeing with everything, and he's trying to live it. He's trying to live it. But see that word somewhat? He couldn't. 
He couldn't. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Oh, see, that's what it was. Now he knew the reason. Now he knew the reason, but then doesn't he say he ends with, and I'm going to scoot right on down, surely this was the answer. Oh, please let it be the answer. Let it be the answer. But remember that somewhat. Self-knowledge, we've all had it. We all walk with it. And it brought us to a point, but not beyond that, and we needed to go beyond that to a higher power. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you. And Rose, please. Thank you. Uh, This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Um, It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. Um. This, you know, when when, uh, Michelle read this, uh, this this hit me so, so strongly because I came into my first OA meeting in June 1973, and and I did experience a relief at the beginner's meeting when I first heard that I was a compulsive overeater. I did, relief came in. And then, <clears throat> and I, I come in at 250 pounds, I, I go on a food plan, I, I lose within a period of time 125 pounds. And yet all I was working on <clears throat> were actually the fumes from that initial relief of the self-knowledge that I was a compulsive overeater. And I even bought the big book on my first meeting. Did not read the beginning chapters ever. Read the stories in the back with tremendous identification, but lacking, lacking the uh, the knowledge. I had the piece of self-knowledge, but I did not have the knowledge that, one, <clears throat> I had an allergy to the body, and when I consumed certain foods, I was doomed to uh, keep eating them. And I didn't have the knowledge that there was a mental obsession as part of that allergy to the body that literally condemned me, and I had no power against it. So denote the passing of uh, almost 39 years as an untreated compulsive overeater, untreated in that I did not, for whatever reason, uh, work. That means, like, work the steps. I, I, I read the steps. I studied the steps. Um, I went to step meetings. <clears throat> so I never worked the steps. And then, and then the thing from there, and, and what I experienced throughout those years, was that I would have periods off of this one small piece of self-knowledge where I'd stay abstinent, never, ever. And I I never slipped, I never relapsed, I never whatever. All I did was pick up food because I was doomed to eat it because I would think at times I was I was cured and would pick it up again. And this sentence, my incredibly credible behavior in the face of of a desperate desire to stop um, the rest of the sentences was explained it was explained to me beginning last year when I was brought through the steps with another recovered compulsive overeater and then I was given not the self-knowledge but the knowledge from God that has me now in a place where when I read this I never identified in in this in Bill's story or the others due to being um, untreated. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Deborah. I'd like to comment. Go ahead, Deborah. Yes, hello. This is Rachel. Deborah, uh, go ahead, I'm- please. 
Thank you. Um, thank you very much to Vision for You for a wonderful meeting. Um, I am Deborah, com recovered compulsive overeater in Naples, and uh, this paragraph uh, really struck me this morning because I recall um, how relieved I was uh, the first time I went to OA nine years ago to find out that I had a disease. It was actually a, a, the last in a series of relief that I had found from self-knowledge as I went through a very extended psychotherapy and each theory about why I was eating brought me this temporary sense of relief because once I had that self-knowledge, I believed that my overeating days were over. But much to my surprise, that self-knowledge um, only made my ego bigger and did nothing for my compulsive overeating. It was really only when I came to the 12 steps and work through them um, that I had any relief at all. So I think that uh, being reminded that self-knowledge is not the key um, is a great part of this paragraph. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, wanted to just speak on this. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. So, uh, you know, Dr. Silkworth now is offering Bill an explanation for his inability to stop or stay stopped. Um, you know, Bill, he's saying, you know, you're not crazy and you're not weak and you're not, you know, it's not about your moral fiber you're an alcoholic bill you know that's your problem you're an alcoholic so of course bill is thinking that this knowledge that he's an alcoholic that it's not about uh, morality and it's not about weakness and it's not about badness and it's not about um you know that he's he's uh crazy or without moral fiber that that knowledge is going to be enough so it says understanding myself now i fared forth in high hope what does that mean he fared forth in high hope what that means is bill became sober he got sober and he has self-knowledge well what is our problem <laughs> what was bill's problem the big book teaches us that we have a spiritual malady, that we have a soul sickness, a gangrene of the spirit, if you will. Sobriety is physical. Sobriety is physical. And if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. You know, character cannot be changed by sobriety. To get over drinking, the text teaches us, is going to require a transformation of thought and attitude, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Putting a plug in the jug is merely physical. Abstaining from your binge foods is merely physical. It's absolutely necessary in order to clear one's mind and body before embarking on the program of recovery, which is spiritual. But sobriety or abstinence is only physical. It does not attend to the greater aspect of the disease which resides in the mind. Bill is powerless. When we say that Bill is powerless over alcohol, what we really mean is that, yes, Bill's been uh, enlightened here to some bad news. You know, he, he, he's been told about the problem. But even after being told about the allergy, even being told about the obsession of the mind, its damage, the illness, even after all the consequences that Bill has been through, right, he's, he's lost his job, he hasn't had a sober breath in, in over five years, he's been sleeping on the couch of his in-laws, uh, his wife has to go out to work in order to pay the bills, his health is deteriorating, he has been contemplating 
suicide, and things are still going to get worse here. The story is still going to unravel a little bit more. Even after all that, even after all that is explained in excruciating detail to Bill, he is still going to go out, and you know what? He's going to do what he always does. He's going to go out and drink. That is powerlessness. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about insanity. We're not talking about the insanity that occurs after Bill drinks and he urinates on himself and he slurs his words and maybe he dances on the table and crashes a couple cars. We're not talking about that insanity. That would happen to anyone who drinks to excess. That's called alcohol and its effect on human tissue. The real insanity is the fact that when Bill is stone cold sober, he makes a decision to pick up that first drink, that he is uncomfortable walking this planet being sober. And that's why the problem really is a spiritual malady. It's a separation from God. And any amount of sobriety, which is physical, will not create a relationship with God. Sobriety cannot alone create a relationship with God. It's going to take a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Good morning. This is Sharona from Israel. I would like to share. Sharona, go ahead. Good morning to everyone. Um, Hi, Sharona, compulsive overeater. I just want to say that for, this is the first time in Bill's story that he's sober for a long time and he, he, and he earns some money. And I think that he had to, to, to feel the, this kind of sobriety after passing the hell and terror that he went through uh, until the, this point in his story. And it gave him some motivation to be sober. He felt that it, it, become, it became possible. Until then, he lived to drink. And until this point, he lived to drink. And he, he really got to the gutters. And now, um, just, get, just living and ma- managing his own self and, and going in to a job, getting up in the morning. He couldn't get out of bed. And I think it gave, it gave him some motivation and some hope, and I think it's the hand of God that leads him uh, to the point he wants, he would want to be recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharona. Let's move on to the next paragraph with Judy B., please. Good morning. This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremors or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. So we're seeing more and more the depths of uh, Bill's despair. And, uh, I mean, this time, he, he is beginning to realize that this may be the end. And at the beginning it says, but it was not. The frightful day came when I drank once more, but it was not, meaning self-knowledge is not the answer, because even though we, we understand uh, more about ourselves, we still have no control over what happens, and, um, and, and Bill, his desire to stop was strong, but his, his will concerning liquor was amazingly weak. I mean, he just was not able to, to make that transition, and... Uh, he came to the point where he just thought, this is going to be the end. And I'm, you know, his, his feelings about his wife and how he had let her down and, and all of that was just, you know, beyond despair. And yet he didn't seem to be able to do anything about it. 
and um and I identify with this i I remember when um when I was told that um if I would lose weight, my breathing would improve and uh and at that point, I believed that I believed that if I could just leave the food alone, I would feel better, and yet I wasn't able to do that and um I, I just I, I just so identify with Bill. Um Bill had met Dr. Silkworth at this at this point. Um I, I didn't meet Dr. Silkworth until later in my program. I didn't um my doctors did not have the knowledge that Dr. Silkworth had. And um and and until I got into the big book, I didn't have the the knowledge of this disease either. And uh what a difference it has made to finally know that I have an allergy of the body and uh, an obsession of the mind, and that is what needs to be dealt with. And I'm just, I'm just grateful that uh, Bill is explaining this step by step, what has happened to him, and, uh, and later we'll see that it can be different. And I thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Good morning again. Thank you. This is Monica, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. So he'd been... um, after his first hospitalization, he was he was dried out. He was sober. He was um, physically um, he'd gotten better physically, and you know and he had that knowledge and things went well for a while, and then bang, he picked up again. And what happened when he picked up? You know, this is a progressive disease. It always gets worse. And when he picked up again here. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. You know, what a ski jump. You know, you go, they, they take off, they go up a little bit. You know, he'd been up, he'd been sober, he'd been clean, he'd made a little money, you know. And bang, he picked up and what happened? He went down, straight down. Very quick, very sudden bang. You're down there. He returned to the hospital. And this is his second treatment. And this is in July of 1934. He's back on his back in the hospital looking at Dr. Silkworth and Dr. Silkworth looking at him. And he goes on to say, My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens or I would develop a wet brain. At this point, um, Lois and Dr. Um, and Dr. Silkworth are standing just outside his room, apparently. And she asks Dr. Silkworth, you know, what do you think here? And this is what Dr. Silkworth tells her. He says, I, I think it's hopeless and that uh, it's just a matter of time and he's going to die. And Bill overhears this. He overhears this. Can you imagine hearing this? Um I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. You know, um, what powerlessness and unmanageability here this guy was facing, thinking about, you know. All these years he had tried. You know, he got a little self-knowledge and it worked for a while, but it wasn't good enough like everyone is saying. Self-knowledge doesn't do it. Willpower doesn't do it. Determination will not do it. We're powerless when we need a power that's greater than us. And there is a power that's greater than us. And the recovered people that wrote this book and the recovered people on this line will tell you it's God, it's God, it's God. And working the steps will help you to find that. And I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Star one to unmute. 
Well, it's late. I'll jump in here until someone would like to. Uh, but it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. Again, uh, you know, we make a decision to pick up. We make a decision. The doctor's opinion uses the word succumb. We yield to the disease. We invite it in. I mean, uh, these bottles of, of beer and ale and vodka didn't uh, catapult themselves off the bar and down Bill's gullet. He is instructing his brain to instruct his arm, which instructs his hand to grasp the bottle and to pour it freely down his throat, uh, just like the the tin of 9 by 13 brownies didn't jump off the counter and down my throat. I made a decision, but it was not for the frightful day, but it was not for the frightful day came when I drank once more. We keep making the decision to yield, to bow to the demands of the master of disease. And that's what we're talking about powerlessness, is when the brain is working 100% and Bill is walking into the bar and he's saying to the bartender, bartender, guess what? Guess what I just learned? (laughs) I just learned... From this physician friend of mine, Dr. William Silkworth, who's an expert on alcoholics, who's worked with tens and tens and tens of thousands of alcoholics, and I just learned I have an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind and that I'm an alcoholic. And if I drink and continue to drink, my body is going to continue to deteriorate, and it's been strongly recommended to me that I stop drinking because I've lost my job. I've basically lost my family. I've almost lost my mind. Um, I'm going to lose my, my wife and my life. And by the way, Mr. Bartender, uh, can I have a drink? And while we're at it, make that too. It's like Bill understands the problem, and you know what? He's going to do it anyway. And that's exactly what happens to people like you and I. We do it anyway, and that is the insanity that the big book is talking about. That's what powerlessness over alcohol, or in our case, over binge foods is. We might get abstinent, or Bill might get sober for a a week or a month Or maybe for some people, they might be able to squeeze out a year. But there's going to come a time and there's going to come a situation where we're going to make a decision. We are going to bow to the demands and serve the master of disease. And we're going to pick up that first bite. And the progression of this disease is devastating and it gets worse and worse. And this is not an intellectual Uh, process, and this is not about self-knowledge. We have to take a good look at what, when the big book is talking about insanity, we're talking about the insanity that comes and controls us before we pick up that first bite. And that is the obsession of the mind. And the only one who can heal an obsession of the mind, a sick mind like that, is he who created it. And that's going to be a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Janice. Janice, go right for it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, my dear friend, Leah. This is Janice. Good morning, Vision for You. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I look at this paragraph and I see the progression of my own illness. And I see the progression of my thinking. You know, that's what we're talking about here too. You know, Bill is absolutely, absolutely physically depleted. Physically depleted. So much so that the only thing they knew was to hospitalize him once again. Once again. And his health had fallen off like a ski jump. You know, he was underweight, he was shaky, he wasn't able to eat. He, he was at the end physically, so much so that even the doctor said, you know, he's going to continue like this. His body is so weakened 
you'll have a heart, heart his heart just can't take it anymore. His heart just can't take it anymore. You know, and poor Lois, poor Lois, you know, what, what were her alternatives? She'd already been looking at places to put Bill, and they were not pretty. Places where alcoholics of his type ended up with wet brains. They couldn't think anymore. You know, they, they had to be cared for. All their bodily functions had to be cared for. And there was no hope there anymore. And this is where Bill was. The progression of his thinking. The progression of his health and the progression of his thinking. And he knew. You know, somehow he knew the frightful day came. He's looking back on this thing. And the frightful day came once more when I drank again. This is true powerlessness. True powerlessness. And perhaps you've been there because I have. I have. You know, here I am again. Here I am back in that desperate place that I said I would never get to again. I said it can't happen. I know what I know now. I see I see what those foods are. I see those foods that, that, that I just can't seem to to manage, and so I'm just going to stay away from those foods. I know this about myself. But it didn't help me. It didn't help me. I had no defense against that first drink. And it was right there in front of me. I had this insatiable appetite for these foods when I picked them up. But my brain would not rest. My brain would not be quiet. My brain kept me in that progression, thinking, thinking, thinking that I could think my way out of this. But I could not. But I could not. You know, what What a sad and hopeless place to be. But remember, the lowest ebb is the turn of the tide. The lowest ebb is the turn of the tide. And I like to believe, after having read Bill that this is exactly where he needed to get to. I don't know what your bottom is. I can look back and say, I know what my bottom was. I know that place where I was hopeless, helpless, desperate, doomed, and done, and done. And that's the place I had to get to, and I believe we all have to get to, no matter how far down the scale we go. We all have to get to that point where we see in ourselves this true powerlessness. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Let's move on to the next paragraph with Sharon, please. Sharon, star one to unmute. Good morning. Yes, good morning. This is Sharon, recovered compulsive overeater. Good morning, Leah, and to all of you. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and abilities of my obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I into the endless procession of thoughts who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been happiness after all. What would I now? I'm hearing a little self-pity from Bill, but in some ways, uh, he is actually quite pitiful at this point in his life. And I remember that I was pitiful, and I pitied myself. And But that did me no good. That didn't help at all. Here it said, I knew I and almost welcomed the idea. So... And I know I had gotten to that point in my life before I began my recovery where if I could have died with ease, I would have chosen that route. I would have chosen to just end it all. But for me, I 
a reason to live. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with my children and who would take care of them and, and who could possibly love them as much as I did in spite of the fact that I was eating myself to death and I couldn't take care of them very well because of the food and because of my addiction. I was, the food was more important. It, in my mind, my mind told me my children were more important, but my actions told me that the food was more important. I would eat and eat and eat. And I knew where I was that last binge that I had. I knew where I was. I knew where the cookies were. But I can't my food dominated my thinking, dominated my thoughts. I longed for the end of the misery, the pain, the hurt that I felt because I couldn't do the things that I longed to do. I couldn't do them because the food filled my day. My life was full of the food, was full of, and and therefore my life was full of pain. I just felt pain. I don't know if your program brought you, your food brought you to that level, but that's where I was. It was a dark and lonely and sad and depressed place. And for sure, I did. I wished for the end. I welcomed the idea of being put out of my misery, having the choice taken away from me. Because in reality, I felt like I had no choice. It was to take care of my children, to live my life, to live in the sunlight of the spirit. That's what I longed to do. But I couldn't do it because I was pulled, I was forced to do. And I thank God. I thank God that um, uh, I found a way out, that I found a solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would someone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, my name is Margaret. Margaret, go ahead. And then Katie. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you, Margaret. Recovered here in South Jersey. Uh, It was a devastating blow to my pride, which could almost bring me to tears. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. That's the, that's the sentence that really, 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 really hit me because I was full of pride. I was certainly full of pride. And I could not identify in because, in my mind, I wasn't that bad. That was it. I was not that bad. I didn't do a lot of things I heard people, that people did. You know, I, I didn't lose my family. I didn't lose my home. I didn't lose my job. I still went to work. I still got up, got my shower, and got out to work. It was crazy, but I pushed myself, and I could still do it. And I think because I could still do it, I just kept that insane thought in my mind that I wasn't that bad. But in the meantime, on the way home from work, you know, I was stopping at the uh, the stores on the way home, the dollar store, to get to the cheapest uh, fix I could find for a dollar, or, you know, or it just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And I was so tired of being, uh, as was just said, I was so tired of being pushed around by this food. I just hated being forced to eat. And I, and I knew, and I had had an experience uh, with somebody very close to me, uh, actually it was my mother, that my mother was trapped. I, I knew my mother was trapped. I didn't know how. I didn't know why. But I knew my mother was trapped. And I identified so much in this story with Bill when he saw that in himself. And I knew I was trapped. I knew I was trapped in this disease. Um, and I knew I had to get out. I mean, that was the thing. I knew I had to get out. So my my pride, you know, you know, kept me thinking that, that one sentence that I wasn't as bad as the next person. I would hear what the next person said, well, I should think I didn't do that. You know, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I did enough. You know, I came to realize, you know, they say uh, you can be done when you stop digging. And I knew I had to stop digging because 
this food was pushing me around. It did have me by the throat. I was still able to do a lot, you know, but it had me by the throat. I would be walking along, abstinent, doing fine, thinking I was good, had self-knowledge, and then there was a cliff. And I would just drop off a cliff, and I would think to myself, just like Bill did, you know, pounding the, the bar, how in the heck did I get here? And I'd have to climb out again. And, you know, this just repeated itself over and over and over again because I didn't know the answer. But then when I came here, thank God, I found the answer, and I don't have to live like that anymore. I mean, I don't have to live like that anymore. And that's just a miracle. And I, I am so grateful. I can't even tell you, as all as we are. And I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thanks, Margaret. And Katie, please. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. You know, my progression was that, um, you know, I always was able to lose weight. I could you know, muster up enough willpower to lose, uh, you know, close to my goal weight. And then, um, you know, of course, would start the the cycle all over again. But once I, uh, my disease progressed to the point where I could not, um, I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't do it for one day. And I couldn't even... um, you know, all all the self-knowledge and all the willpower and all the um, great ideas that had worked at one time, they didn't work anymore. And, you know, I didn't know what I needed to do because I was in OA. This, you know, I'd been in OA for years. I thought I knew the program. I thought I knew uh, what I had to do. I thought I had taken step one multiple times. I thought I had you know, done a four-step, I had worked on character defects, I had done all these things, and yet here I was, you know, approaching 200 pounds on a five-foot-three frame and um, not able to stay abstinent for, you know, within an hour of getting up. And, you know, it was very devastating um, to my ego because, you know, this country is built on the idea that, you know, we can, uh, we have pride in our work and in our abilities and, you know, we have so much information out there and, you know, surely, surely knowing what's going to happen, you won't do it. And that was the missing ingredient for me is I didn't understand that I had a spiritual problem and I didn't know how to surrender without holding on at the same time. I thought, how can I surrender if I still have to eat? And I just thought and and continued to try to control my behavior. And I thought if I controlled my behavior, that I would somehow change. And that never worked. Um, you know, he's thinking back of, of the the times when there was happiness and, you know, I could think back on the times when I, you know, when I did have that high of, of staying off the food for a while and I, you know, landed the job or I, you know, got the boyfriend or I, you know, went on the trip or I, whatever good moments I had in my life, but I never had any real happiness and I never had any long-term success. And for me, because I was so young when I got into this disease and even when I, you know, it just progressed so much and I was so young that I had never experienced life. And, you know, I had lowered my standards so much that I didn't even uh, have a clue where I could go if I actually did surrender. I was really trying to coexist with my misery. And, you know, that didn't work. All it got me was wanting to die, just like he's saying. He's welcoming the idea. He's welcoming the idea of dying, and that's where I was. And it's only a miracle that I am not in that same place or dead today. And we will now hear the rest of his story with that I'll pass. This is Anna. 
Thank you very much. We are now out of time. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Michelle, will you please read a vision for you? This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.